Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from the dream, from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the word for us today. Well, I'll let you know that uh, it's a balmy day here in San Angelo. It was 11 in Abilene when I got up this morning. It was 18, I think, when I hit town here a little bit ago. Ah, But it's a good thing to be together, to worship God, to remember the tremendous and marvelous gift we have as Christian people in the story of God's deep and abiding love for us through the incarnation and through the sacrifice that Jesus makes. We are a blessed people. Well, this story that uh, comes to us from Matthew chapter 1 prompts for me several questions. One is reflected in the title of the sermon, something about do we still need a Savior. Uh, The the focus there for me as I've thought about that is to think about uh, the world in which we inhabit where all too often we have... Uh, many friends, colleagues, people we work with, people who inhabit our uh, great nation who see Christianity as sort of a value-added extra, that it doesn't really play itself out in any real way in a modern or postmodern sort of world. And in fact, uh, that the notion is that uh, that's sort of, uh, for other people, this business of religion, this business about Christianity, uh, that, uh, that we don't really, really need that. And yet, uh, leading prophets of our age, persons like Bono, would make the comment uh, from the band YouTube that not many people live happy lives in our world. I wonder if there's some correlation in all of this. That uh, philosophers like Charles Taylor, who would say that even though we live in a secular age where people have given up on God, there still is this sense of a, we live in a haunted world, this is his language, to describe the desire that we have that maybe somehow or another God might 
break in or that there's something bigger than us that's at work in the world. Uh, and we long for that. We, we kind of hope for it, but reality is it's not the case at all. Well, our story today is a reminder that as Christian people, we actually do believe that in a haunted world, to use Taylor's phrase, that or to say in another way that God is at work in our world in stupendous ways, working out his promises and possibilities for our lives. That's what this story is all about. And it settles in on a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, I know when we do Christmas stories, our focus often is on Mary, and rightfully so. But in the gospel telling of Matthew, the focal point is not so much Mary as it is in the gospel of Luke. It's on Joseph. Joseph finds himself in a dilemma. It's a very human dilemma. It's one, it's the sort of thing that happens to all of us where we find ourselves faced with two choices that we've got in front of us. And neither one of them looks good. And in fact, we're having to often choose the lesser of two evils. There's a great line out of uh, the Aubrey Matron, uh, Stephen, or the Aubrey, uh, the old master and commander. Remember the movie? Uh, The the novelist uh, Patrick O'Brien writes a series of novels where uh, there's a naval captain by the name of Jack Aubrey. And he has a friend who's the surgeon, Stephen Matron. Uh, and uh, there's this wonderful little episode where they're sitting around having dinner and they're eating ship's biscuit, which is full of weevils. And uh, they tap out the weevils and eat the biscuit because that's all they got to eat. And on the table as they're eating, there are two weevils walking around. And, and Aubrey says to, to his friend Matron, which one of those uh, is, the, uh, is the better? Which one would you choose? Which one would you choose? And Matron says, well, I don't know. They look the same to me. Well, you've got to choose, Jack says. And he chooses. He says, well, I'll take that one. And Aubrey says, why? Well, it's the bigger one. And Aubrey says, no, 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 you don't get it. In the the Royal Navy, we always choose the lesser of two weevils. (laughs) That was a long way to get to a funny moment. Sorry. That was not in the notes, and there's a reason why it wasn't in the notes. All right, the horns of a dilemma. Okay, here we are, human beings faced in a, in a dilemma. Joseph is in that kind of dilemma. His bride-to-be uh, is now found uh, pregnant. He's got to make a choice. Do I publicly uh, disown her and disgrace her as is his right and as is the custom of his day and time? Or does he privately, quietly, simply uh, proceed with divorce uh, uh, proceedings. What does he do? What will he do? Both are not fun choices. Both must be breaking his heart. Both stand at at a point of crisis of having to choose between two things that I just don't want to do. And that's where all of us find ourselves in life. Sooner or later, we have these kinds of moments in our life. Cancer strikes. Do I do surgery or do I do chemotherapy? I've got a difficult choice to make with my job. Do I quit the job that I currently have or do I hang on a little longer and see if it will change? Choice after choice after choice we have in our lives where we're often characterized by being caught 
being caught on the horns of a dilemma. And the trouble with the horns of a dilemma is that wherever you sit down, it's going to hurt. That was in the notes. Sorry. Joseph. Well, I think Matthew is telling us this story to help draw us into the reality of what I said a moment ago about the power of the gospel. And he signals to us that that's what he's up to, actually in chapter 1, starting in verse 1, which we skip verses 1 through 17 and always start reading the gospel of Matthew in verse 18. Do you know why? Yeah, the genealogy, I heard it, genealogies right? Have you ever, I started to say, have you ever read them? Well, no, you haven't. You've always skipped down to verse 18, right? And -and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and and we kind of glaze over until, and now here's the story of the birth of Jesus the Messiah, when his Mary was found, as I read a few moments ago. Well, you know something? Actually, there's something really big going on in that genealogy. Several things, actually that all give us a clue to our story about Joseph and his dilemma. The possibility that the world might be haunted, that God might break in and do something about all of that. Now, when you read genealogies from the Jewish world, one of the things that's always in place is that it's father to son, father to son, father to son. You know what happens in this genealogy? Four times, Matthew, as he counts this genealogy, throws in a woman. There's women in this genealogy. Can you imagine it? What's going on? Well, I'll tell you, if that doesn't scandalize you, let me go a little further. The women that show up in this genealogy aren't Jewish women. Not not Sarah not Rachel and Leah, not Deborah, not great Jewish women that, that we could aspire to. All four are non-Jewish women who all four are associated with some sort of sexual scandal. There's Tamar. I'd tell you that story, but uh, maybe you ought to read that one at home, okay? <laughs> Tamar. Then there's Rahab, who's a prostitute. There's Ruth, who does a little deal on the, the, the floor of the threshing, the threshing floor that's not exactly uh, copacetic. And then there's the fourth one, is, he's so embarrassed he doesn't even name her. It's not Bathsheba, it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who is caught up in a sexual scandal as well. All four of these figures are ways in which Matthew is including and indicating to us as we open up this text that God steps into difficult places, often scandalized and look impossible, and does transforming kinds of work. He did it in Ruth's, lot, Ruth's life as the Moabitess and brought her into uh, the lineage of David himself. He does, it, he does it with Bathsheba, who goes through all kinds of heartache and grief and the loss of a baby, not of her own choosing, but because David imposed his will on her. And yet it's her son, Solomon, who becomes king. What is God doing here? Story after story are being evoked by those four women where God steps in and does astounding work in the midst of what looks impossible. That instead of seeing, well, it's either A or B, that God breaks in and some new thing, some C option, a third way emerges. And that's exactly what happens with Joseph. Do I 
put her away publicly? Do I do it privately? What do I do? A or B, A or B. And then I can see him falling asleep one night, prayerfully agonizing over this. And in his troubled sleep, the Spirit of God, a voice of an angel, comes to Joseph and says, Hey, it's not A and it's not B. Because the Spirit of God is at work in Mary. And the Spirit of God is inviting you to share in something new. You see, as Christian people, we believe that God's Spirit evokes new possibilities. It was the Spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1 that breathed over the formless void of the earth. And in day after day after day, the world was created. It is the Spirit of God that calls forth kings and prophets and launches them on new possibilities and new things. The early church understood it was the Spirit of God that descended in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and launched something new. It is our belief, our conviction as Christian people, that God works well. In fact, he works the very best in dilemmas when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, and the only place we can look for any hope is from outside ourselves. Joseph is in that place. And when Joseph hears the words of this messenger who says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for, the, for what's going on here is, the Holy, is Holy Spirit work, and then he says, look, I want you to give this boy two names. I want you to call him Jesus because or actually Joshua, it's Joshua, it's, it's the Greek form of the Hebrew word, Joshua, because he's going to save, he saves the mighty one who saves, he's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to bring deliverance. And I want you to name him as well Emmanuel, because Emmanuel reminds us that God is with us as a sure and certain sign that God is present in our present. That he is with us through all things. That's what I want you to do. I want you, this angel says to Joseph, to be this boy's daddy. He needs a father. And he's going to need a father to get him ready for the work that is before him. The the work that he will have to attend to. He's going to need a father like you, Joseph. uh, Who is willing to take a risk on the promise of God's presence. Like you're going to have to do, Joseph, because this boy is going to grow up and have to take risks as well. He needs a father like you who is willing to take on the disapproval of all the townsfolk and the scandal of what will be surrounded on this because this boy that I'm calling you to name Jesus is going to have to deal with disapproval himself. Joseph, he needs a father like you who will teach him what to do in situations like this when everything looks painful and bleak and dark and yet you do the right thing anyway because you know what, Joseph? This boy's going to have to grow up and live in that kind of world as well. He needs a father like you, Joseph, who knows that it will be hard to take Mary all the way down to Bethlehem for that census and all that that represents Because this boy will one day have to walk a road that will take him to Calvary. And he will need to have a model like you, Joseph. 
You see, what I'm suggesting is that in that moment, Joseph is being invited to take a risk on the promise of God breaking into his world and partnering with God to accomplish the good things that God seeks to do in our world. And here's the tricky thing about all of that, is that God continues to ask that question of you and I today. God continues to work out his graciousness in people's lives, in ordinary situations, in places of brokenness and darkness. God is still at work breaking in and making old things and broken things all new. There's a story told during the time of Wesley in the 1700s in a mining camp where alcoholism uh, and uh, disruption of families was rampant. Wesley would preach in those mining camps to bring the truth of the gospel. And there was one miner who converted. He, he came to Jesus Christ. He, took, he believed in Jesus Christ and the transformation that took place in his life. And yet all of his buddies, all the people he worked with, uh, derided him and made fun of him. And one day they were teasing him and they said to him, what do you think about this Jesus? Do you think Jesus really turned water into wine? And this farmer, this, this miner, this new Christian, turned to his friends and said, well, I don't know about Jesus turning water into wine, but I know in my family he turned beer into furniture. He made a difference in my life. And I'm here to testify that God is still breaking in and working with people who are willing to say yes to the new work that God wants to do in your life and mine just like he did with Joseph, just like he did with Tamar and Ruth and Bathsheba and Rahab. God wants to work with us and partner to do risky things to save and transform lives. The question is, will we accept him? Will we say yes to him? You know, there's uh, an old Christ, uh, Christ, Christmas hymn that I've been thinking about a lot this, uh, this past week as I think about this that evokes this very well. It's, it's one of those verses way down in uh, uh, O little, um, little Town of Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem. You know that, that, that Christmas hymn. The fourth verse. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in be born in us today that's the invitation of this text we hear the christmas angels the great glad tidings tell oh come to us abide with us our lord emmanuel church this morning i'm reminding us of the invitation that joseph got one troubled night in a dream to partner with God to see new things happen. He comes to us in our dilemmas, our struggles, our rocks and hard places and invites us to partner with him to bring newness into life. The question I have for us this morning is, will we say yes to this birthing announcement? Will we say yes and allow Jesus Christ to enter into our lives, will we say yes to partner with God to see good things come to pass? Will we let him have his way in our lives and bring victory 
to the world in which we live. Let's stand together now and sing.